Hey everybody and welcome to episode 146 of the Revive Yourself podcast. Here we go. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Have you got a health issue that just won't go away no matter what you try? Then welcome to the Revive Yourself podcast, where we reveal the secrets to long-lasting health by getting to the root cause of problems that no one else is talking about. So you can have more energy, clear skin, healthier hair, a leaner physique, more confidence, and most importantly, do the things you love and live the life you deserve. Here's your host, Ryan Martin. So guys, welcome back to the show, episode 146. Before we, before we get going, I um, just want to say thank you to those of you that have bought the book, The Chronic Fatigue Solution. They're getting some fantastic reviews. And um, yeah, people messaging me uh, saying that they're getting lots from it, which is great, which is what, exactly what I wanted. Uh, if you haven't got it yet, then you can head over to www.thechronicfatiguesolution.com. We have actually had a few um, issues with delivery because the Royal Mail, unfortunately, misplaced a lot of our books along with not just mine as two other authors as well so the problem has been a bit of a pain in the bum um so if you are waiting on delivery it's been a long time let me know or if you send me an email then i can get onto our publishers and they can get it out to you but the actual reviews of the book have been fantastic um and if you have been waiting a long time give me a shout and we can sort something out but thank you for your patience it's just few of the books went out, some didn't, and unfortunately it's one of those things, it's, it's a real pain in my bum, because my whole business is built, built on integrity and giving people exactly what they need, so to have uh, people thinking they're, uh, that <laughs> they haven't got their book or that we're trying to you know, take money off them without giving them product is being a bit of a nightmare for myself, <laughs> but I can assure you this isn't the case, and the books will be on their way. And if you need, uh, if it's been a bit of a time, thank you for your patience. And if it's been over a couple of weeks, then please send me an email and we'll get it sorted for you. But if you haven't got your copy yet, then please do head on over to www.therevivyourself, the revive yourself, sorry, www.thechronicfatiguesolution.com and you'll be able to get the book there. We've also got the audio version, so that can be downloaded instantly um and yeah you can uh, listen to my lovely voice doing the uh, audio version of that if you ever if any of you have recorded an audio version of the book you'll know how <laughs> how fun that is um it's an experience but it's one that you you, you get better at which is fun but yeah so before if you haven't got it yet www.thechronicfatiguesolution.com um otherwise yeah if you head on over to www.reviveyourself.co um, and click on the shop we've got all of our products there that i recommend uh, and if you do buy them from us it does help greatly because it allows me just to float the show you know get great guests and spend more time on it um, and we've got everything there that you you want from liver cleansers milk thistle to meal replacements in living fuel the best all-round product on the market you know greens drinks um, sun creams non-toxic sun creams um, different different products from different companies all have a look there pearl powder if you're dealing with blemishes uh, that's from ancient purity with their they've also got some great vitamin d and k2 and also vitamin c um we've got so many quality products from we've got a bundle with the finchley clinic um and to restore products from them as well from dr zach bush which is going to really help impact 
building a healthy internal environment and clearing out your gut lining uh, that's the restore product if you haven't listened to my interview with dr zach bush i definitely suggest you go back and listen to that and so you've got a whole host of products uh, evolutional gangs i said before we've got our ancient and brave collagen and cacao uh, which is just a great product for mental clarity for skin health um just for giving yeah giving you a daily boost without caffeine you know uh, I'm never, never going to be a promoter of caffeine, having done extensive research on it, and it's something I always get my clients off. Um, it's just one of the most heavily sprayed crops in the world. It's a central nervous system stimulant. It depletes from people's vitamin C. It's got a whole host of problems. It's heavily sprayed, as I mentioned. Um, and so, if you can get off that, and instead have have things like cacao. Um, or any of the other healthy teas we've got there from Paldarco, Quadrupedra, Cat's Claw, they're all going to be fantastic for your health and boosting your immune system and giving you that energy and vitality. Um, anyway, that's it for, for that. On to today's show, we've got a, a guest, Michael Scrantz uh, from Environmental Analytics, and we'll be talking all about your house your internal environment of your house um, and where people are getting, well, lots of people are getting exposed to mold and getting illnesses these days from having a toxic internal environment that they live in. So we'll be going into lots of different topics there. And Michael's a, Michael is a, yeah, a, f- a fun guy, a very charming guy, and he's got an extensive knowledge. And as you'll see on this episode, we'll get into that. So without further ado, here's Michael. Enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side. Uh, cold uh, actually compared to denver we're actually pretty warm we did have a cold front but um you know we're uh usually in terms of fahrenheit we're uh on the mornings it might be 40 50 degrees um and then by the time it's in the middle of the day we're low 70s this is why we we, we call them winter snowbirds a lot of people from the colder country uh retired people that sort of thing older folks they actually have homes out here just yeah. because of the weather yeah here i mean yeah and also uh arizona it's um Sedona always gets a great rep for people in like the health, oh, yeah. health industry and the people yep. love it. Yeah. Uh, Sedona, Arizona. Have you been there before? Oh yeah. That place is a postcard picture. Beautiful. It really is. Every time I went up there actually recently for uh, a job and uh, it had been years prior to that, maybe 10 or 15. And when I went there, it was just like, it was the first time again, the color of the rocks and the landscaping is so vividly different and non dull. Uh, it's amazing. Well, so, yeah, I, I, I really want to go there. I think, um, Everyone who's everyone who's been there loves it. What when you say vivid? What is it? This is it means it is it is it because of the um, environment, like the, the the climate? Is that what makes it like so stand out? I so think different? it's the, I think it's probably end, ends up being the total package. But I guess specifically by vivid, I do mean the color contrast. Okay. You know, in a desert, um, you know, you're used to seeing duller colors. Uh, the greens are dull. The browns are go are dull colored. Um, and even in, uh, in, in, in green country, you know, where there's a lot of trees or vegetation, I mean, those people are just used to kind of a certain theme, but Sedona is like its own beast. And like, when you go online and you type in Sedona, Arizona, and you look at the pictures, they're not too far off from reality. There's just like a unique color in the rocks. And a lot of folks go up there for many reasons. There's a lot of folks who, you know, with spiritual backgrounds. And so they kind of just go find themselves or they go hiking and, there's so much to do up there. It's not a cheap town to live in. It's a great town to um, visit. Yeah. So it would be perfect if you ever wanted to head out here. Yeah, no, everyone, yeah, everyone says that. It's, uh, a lot of people do have lots of retreats, spiritual retreats, and a lot of breathwork retreats and like um, plant medicine retreats there. And 
In fact, the sky is fantastic. I mean, it, uh, when I've heard people describe like the sky and the stars, it reminds me. I've, I've lived in New Zealand for six months, and the uh, the stars there were, were quite spectacular. So yeah, yeah. I, I could see that can be in the relatable thing. And you absolutely, I mean, even the pollution is different in that area, so it totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. great comparison. No, uh, awesome. Uh, so that's uh, definitely so, so on my uh, on my radar. So how far away from that yep. are you? Sedona for me, in terms of a drive, is probably. You know, if I speed just a little bit, probably four hours, oh, maybe four, four hours. and a half. So it's still it's still a fair slap. Well, for us, that's a it fair is. slap. For you guys, four yeah, hours, right. nothing, right? <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. I guess that depends. So yeah, cool. So thank you for coming on. Uh, I know, like we've, um, I've been looking into into your work for for a while. But I think it was the first time I heard you speak, I think, was on Extreme Health Radio. Have you been on that before? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think you, I think that was the first time I heard heard you speak, and then um, just been looking into everything. And and to be fair, like people's, I mean, in in health, um, nutrition is always talked about a lot. Breath work now is talked about a lot. Meditation is talked about a lot. Um, even like the mind, the mental, emotional side of things is getting more talked about. Uh, right, DNRS, limbic system, yeah, yeah, all that. And the thing that sort of gets overlooked a little bit. Um, in in my opinion, is people's inter like home environment. Um, the, I recently had Brian Hoyer on here from um, Shielded he- Shielded Healing. He talks a lot about frequencies. He deals a lot about trying to stop like five G in the home, Wi Fi, people getting and like dowsing in the house. And I know that this is something as well. I mean, people people. Sort of don't understand, or things about the last rock that gets lifted when it comes to the internal environment of their house. And I think it's something that um, that people need to look into more, especially you know they say uh, office buildings as well. They're like nine to ten times more polluted than the air outside, and the air outside now isn't that great. So we think about it. We think about it's um, something that people need to look into more, especially when they're dealing with health issues. So. Just, just right. for people out there that haven't heard uh, heard about yourself, Michael, and, and your company, etc. Just give a little little background into into your journey into into the space. You said um, into being an indoor environmental professional, uh, and also your, your company that you've got now. And, and what, yeah, what led you to to doing that? Sure. Yeah, it, for me, um, although I didn't know that I would be here today, um, I started when I was sixteen years old working for an air conditioning company. Um, uh, learning about, of all things, um, mechanical ventilation, fresh air coming into a building and all this. And of course, I didn't have a clue back then, but I was learning these fundamentals, airflow. Um, I went through high school doing that, went through college, um, getting an operations degree in business you know, management, not necessarily in the work I do today, but still doing that work and just found a real passion, high level, helping solve problems with people who had indoor complaints. Now, it may not have been chronic illness, but just phenomenons like ghosting or soot buildup on ceilings and people not knowing why that was happening or if they did have a mold problem in their home, how to sample it. And I found myself feeling um, satisfied in the beginning as a younger man uh, learning about the, 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 the ins and outs of this. And then what ended up happening, really what was the turning point in my career that got me to where I'm at today is in 2006, I put together a business plan to go out and create my own company uh, environmental analytics. I opened the doors in 2007 and almost immediately I was doing the type of sampling that certain functional medicine doctors were starting to notice, especially here in town. 
Um, and these are the doctors that were working with people who have chronic illness, whether the label is CIRS or Lyme or PANS or PANDAS or SIBO or Alzheimer's. I mean, the list goes on, right? And um, they had noticed that the type of sampling I was doing was picking up things that other traditional assessors um, were not picking up. And where there was a problem is where you saw the conflict. A clinician would say to the patient, you're having exposure and you need to find it, they would hire a traditional assessor. They would come out, not find a problem, say there's not a problem. And of course, there's the conflict. And what and what I noticed was that I was really good at what I was doing. And what I also figured out was this is a really rewarding project. So I became really compassionate. I've always been a, a compassionate person and very sympathetic to the people that you and I work with uh, today who are struggling to get better because they either are genetically susceptible and I just found this such a rewarding job. I mean, I've had other opportunities that if the goal was to be financially better than where I'm at, I could have taken it. Um, this has been just such a rewarding uh, job that um, that's really how I got myself into where you see me at today. And now almost exclusively, uh, I work with people who have chronic illness and issues around the globe. I mean, to be honest with you, that's that's 99% of people. <laughs> I mean, literally, uh, you know, you got, this is why people would say, how's business to me? I'm like, well, everyone's ill. So, you know, it's, uh, it's not, it's not, it's not that I want everyone to be ill. And as you say, I'm extremely compassionate about it. And as when you get into it, it becomes your passion, right? Cause you're like, you, you just want to, you want to spread the news and get people to understand that they don't have to, it doesn't have to be this way, but right. they have to know what they're looking for. And sometimes is it, I've had people say to me at seminars before, well, I've done this and done this and done this. Why am I, why am I still here? I was like, there's so many more rocks that you need to look under. And one of the questions I want to want to ask you is, why wouldn't the people that they employed initially to find whatever the whatever the, the, the functional medicine practitioner was looking for, why wouldn't they find it? And, and what were you doing differently that allowed you to find the, the, the issues that were there? I've thought about that over many years because that question gets asked quite a few times. And really, I think it's a combination of two things. The biggest thing I've learned to say is uh, critical thinking. I think that's what it boils down to. You've, you've, you used an analogy when we first started talking about, uh, used, uh, it was this idea that contamination in homes can be up to 10 times, you know, mm -hmm. loosely, uh, uh, compared to a higher in concentration compared to outdoors. Well, imagine going out there as a, as an inspector, a traditional inspector with that kind of background assumption that if it's less than 10 times, it may not be a problem. Right. So number one, they're already setting themselves up for failure because we're not dealing with traditional healthy population in the, usually with those criteria. By the way, that, that criteria of nine to 10 times is more usually chemical related, but yeah. people have used that for mold and, and other things. But that being said, the other part is that they don't even realize that there's other technologies that do more. So one example is, um, Anybody that's listening that's familiar with mold sampling understands that a very common practice for sampling mold is, uses um, a device or a method called spore trap sampling, where they collect air, they look for spores um, uh, that might be floating around uh, in an environment. Um, it, it's not that that's a worthless test, but it might be worth less than more forensic sampling like qPCR, DNA testing, where it's not just looking for big fat mold spores but it's looking for mold fragments. And if you do your research, you'll find that depending on the study, for every one mold spore, there's somewhere between three and 500 mold fragments in, this, in, these, in these examples, which indicates no matter how you cut the cards, um, there's way more fragments present in an environment than there are spores. Well, you have traditional inspectors, to answer your question, going out there, sampling for spores, 
by the way, in a sedentary environment where gravity typically wins and they don't pick up a problem, well, we were, we were sampling air and dust ba- back when. And so we were picking up problems. It, it might, might have been indirect measurements like collecting history on the surface as well, but indicating that, no, there is an exposure and, and that was a surrogate. What do I mean by surrogate? Well, just because we did find something, it could also indicate that there's other things present. You said maybe there's more rocks that need to be unturned. Well, there could be other things floating around that this method wasn't able to pick up. So I think going back to the question, it was a combination of using critical thinking, understanding that we don't need to follow some basic measure of 10 times or greater that, that somehow justifies somebody's having an exposure or not, which is absolutely a bad way of looking at it, mm-hmm. and also understanding the limitations of the sample that you're doing in the first place. Yeah, 100%. Well, that's why someone would come to you, right? Because it's having the, having well, not just having the tools, but actually knowing what to look for or knowing that. It's, so I get a lot of times that people come to me and say, well, Ryan, I had this test done, but and it didn't show up any, any, for example, parasites. And I was like, well, first of all, the test that you're, you're having a lot of them give false negatives or false positives and there's that's not the test we want to be doing there's a lot of other things we want to be doing because the traditional testing if for certain things in what i do doesn't doesn't show up everything it's not it's not it's not comprehensive enough and so you know i'm guessing that it's like um well, you know, almost you put it into like Ghostbusters. You know, you go to them because they're the experts that get uh, getting getting the ghost. I know it sounds might sound a, bit, a little crash, a little um, ridiculous, but it's, it is what it is. You know, if you if you know what you're looking for as well, or if you if you haven't had your mind open, you said there spores very different to fragments. So for someone yeah. for someone someone looking at a house of mold, for example, because you do a lot of molds and funguses that we want, want to get into. Sure, someone, certainly a big thing, yeah. Big thing. So if someone was looking at a spore compared to like a fragment, would a spore be like, just for, for people out there, because obviously we're doing this in audio, if you're looking, it would be something they can actually see in the corner, like quite a lot of mold, black, compared to a fragment, they wouldn't be able to see it. Would that be something airborne? Yeah. Well, fragment can be anything. The When I say, fra- and it's a, it's a fair question, when, when I say fragment, it can be any part of the mold structure, whether it's a spore a hyphal fragment, the canidia for any part of the actual structure. A lot of people uh, talk about mold in terms of, they use an example that kind of looks like a tree. Yeah. Um, but to put this in perspective, because people aren't uh, on, you know, we're just doing audio, um, on average, 250 mold spores can fit on the top of a needle pin head, the kind that you sew with, you know, side by side without falling over. So just as a general, you know, macro yeah. appreciation, that's a lot. I mean, those yeah. are small. You can't even see the spores. When people see mold, they typically are seeing colonies of, of growth, not just like one spore. And so then imagine for every one of those spores, there's three to 500 fragments. I mean, it's crazy. There's, so a lot of that stuff can settle out. It can become airborne. But more importantly, if you're not thinking about it, critical thinking, or you're not using a type of testing that can detect it, you might come back with results that indicate there's not a quote unquote exposure. And where that becomes a real issue, a real sticking point is when you're working with a clinician or some sort of a practitioner that's working with your health who's suggesting there is an exposure. Oh, and by the way, you're not recovering as a result of it. So that's that's where a lot of our industries, the, the, the clinicians and the IEPs have clashed because we're realizing that the further we go down this rabbit hole and try to understand chronic illness, I love your analogy with Ghostbusters. It's right on because it's really new frontier. The Ghostbusters, they started to do something. They weren't, they were still learning. They're still students, but they did figure something out. And that's really where the truth of the matter is. That's where chronic illness 
diagnosis and treatment and even environmental sampling is at. This is new frontier. And it's very scary for patients to hear that because I don't know about you, Ryan, but I grew up where you went to the doctor's office. If you had a problem, they would do some measurements. They would give a test code and say, okay, based off of this, you need to take this prescription and then come back in a week and you'll be better. That was the most, that was how complicated it got. It was that simple. Now it's like, you know, you ask 10 experts their opinion of what your illness even is and you get 15 different responses. So going back to the issue, fragments are really small. They're just a piece of the pie, but mold is by, is by, is, Mold is natural and, de- and organic and decays just like we do over time. The real question is, is that fragment, is that spore causing an exposure? And if it's not something that's pathogenic, is it something that's causing an inflammatory response to your body, which is a lot of things that a lot of chronic illness, CIRS, Lyme, that sort of thing, that's what they're looking at is the inflammatory effects of any exposure to whatever the contaminant may be, not just mold. Yeah, 100%. This is, yeah, I mean... Oh, unfortunately, my when I well until I was about sixteen, that was that was what doctors um, did for me. Went there, gave me a pill, and then unfortunately, I went through a lot. That's why I do what I do now because it didn't work. And so it was like <laughs> it was like uh, five years of trying to figure out what was going on. But as you said, it's has got like that because I suppose they're getting more well, especially functional doctors and, and practitioners are getting more whatever different things. But as you said, it's what well the reason people were reacting or not knowing what you said we mentioned all the different things there lime mold exposure etc um because people's immune systems are constantly lowered because they're exposed to more well water that isn't as healthy as it was before food supply that's not as sprayed pesticides herbicides redenticides chemical fertilizers fungicides um, because they're constantly stressed about money or you know their relationships breaking down or they've got wi-fi on all day and at night so their lymphatic and their lymphatic system can't clear out you know you keep on going into these things you know and they're having pasteurized homogenized dairy and it means that their immune system is always uh well they're always in their fight and flight rather you know they're in their sympathetic rather than their parasympathetic nervous system so they're more likely to have a reaction to these things because they're constantly stressed. You know, the, 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 the immune system is lowered. So these things can, where normally the body could be like, okay, we can live in conjunction with this. Because bacteria and parasites and pathogens and fungi have been around. You said, as you said, mold have been around as long as we have, right? Um, mm. But we had stronger immune systems probably because we weren't dealing, I know we're the most advanced we've ever been, you know, we're fatter and sicker right. than ever. So it's quite... Um, quite interesting to, to say because a lot of people are getting these mysterious illnesses and they don't know why and i was like well you know in my opinion just this is this is just uh, i'll ask you this, this question michael because just we'll see if this is somewhere around it they're having these reactions to different things because obviously wherever their weakness is that's what gets exposed but because they're so stressed and they've got all these things going on it brings their immune system down weakens their constitution and then you've got this and it's probably like a cascade of a waterfall and that could be the thing that just pushes them over the edge. Yep. You agree? Yeah, I, I would have no, I would have no argument. It's kind of like uh, kicking a leg underneath a table Four legs is pretty stable. You move, remove one leg. Uh, how stable is that table? I don't think, I think that not just to that I agree, but I think the general consensus is that what you're saying is accurate. You mentioned so many different types of exposure, whether it was EMF, even dieting, um, the limbic system, PTSD, and how that may play a role, whether it's 1% or 50% of someone's problem. Um, and then, of course, the defined illness itself. 
Um, the, I think the challenge we all are having, and I think we're all folks like you and me are open to it, but some people aren't is, um, we really don't know how to quantify it as easily. Mm. We can qualify it. We can say EMF is a potential exposure. Um, and we can use certain examples to prove that it's an exposure, but how can we quantify the net of it, the soup of it, if you will, yeah. in a particular home? That has been one of the biggest challenges for me. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's hard because it's hard to know. Uh, it's, it's the same as someone can walk into a hotel in Vegas, for example, and people are taking them for millions of pounds because they go there, they can't sleep. Um, they, they, they get command skin rashes and it's not because they've had loads of cocaine and drunk loads. It's because the fragrances that have been pumped through the hotel and other things they put in the air to keep people awake have completely destroyed them. But some people can go and Vegas hotel for months on end and be absolutely fine. So it is hard to see what is going on. So the best thing, obviously it, if that's going to, if obviously if you can't measure exactly like, I wish we could have a chart and be like, well, my Wi-Fi exposure is actually tolerance is quite up here, and you know my organic food tolerance and pesticides is down here. It'd be quite good. Unfortunately, we haven't got that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Sure, someone will come yeah. out of it soon. Um, but in your in your opinion, because like you deal, you said you deal with a lot of these households. What's what's the what's the, the thing that you see most as an issue in these households? And yep. and you know, getting rid of these things for a lot of people would you know at least it takes it out of out, out of the equation. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And I know it's uh, I know it'll be a subjective response, but I'll give you give you my opinion, of course. Sure. Um, I think I think the whole concept of damp buildings or water damaged buildings is still uh, up there. Um, we have homes that are basically boxes. We all live in them. And um, these boxes allow concentrations of any contaminant to build up. Now, I hate the word contaminant, by the way, just just for the record, because it implies to some people that you're talking about radiation. Really, what I, I'm, I'm referring to is anything in the room or the building that your body would react adversely to. So you, you when I go out to homes and I've been in thousands of them and I've consulted with thousands more um, over the years, um, you, what I see is dampness is is really the the main issue. And you might say, well, then what becomes of the dampness? Is it the dampness itself? Well, no, I think really it's what comes of it. So if it's microbial growth, whether it's mold or bacteria, right? Um, and that now you're in a confined space, your home, you're not outside, and these things are amplifying and um, providing more exposure, higher concentrations. But it's not just it's not just the biological growth. Even even chemicals, we see off-gassing rates increase. There's studies that show that obviously if you have damp uh, dampness in a room or if something gets wet, it interacts chemically with a, say, a, pertin a certain ingredient in a building product and it off-gasses. So that's an issue. Um, and then I think the, the other two things that I would say are right up in there. So this whole high level of damp buildings, water damage, and the microbial chemical production that ensues because of it. Uh, the other two things, uh, number one is just dirty living. People that have reservoirs, carpeting, um, they never clean the home, um, and and that's seemingly such an issue. We see this. People clean their house. They kick up a bunch of dust while they're doing it, mm. and that that soup of that dust, what it represents is an exposure, an inflammatory exposure, and then EMF. I think EMF is on the rise. Um, uh, I, I'm not as I, – I, I consider myself definitely more of a student when we talk about EMF. I kind of know enough to be dangerous, if you will. Mm. But I, I, I get the concept. I mean, it wasn't but 100 years ago where the level of EMF exposure was a small fraction. And now we're being surprised 
that people are reacting when they put their cell, when they even hold their cell phones or they put it up to their head. And then you have all this 4G and 5G talk and it's not natural. We haven't caught up with the evolution of that exposure, you know, depending, that's a whole other topic. But this whole thing of we're throwing more and more stuff in into our pathways, uh, maybe it's a Wi-Fi router in our homes and we're being surprised that we're feeling crappy right next to it. And that is such a, I, I want to end on this point. I actually had that happen to me personally where I bought a Wi-Fi router a couple years ago and um, I, it was one of these super duper ones. I went to a known, a known box store and I said, give me the best, give me the most powerful because I was in, I'm in a brick home and I wanted good reception and so American you know, I do podcasting. Oh yes, right, right. Give me the best, and 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 you know, and 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 so they did that. And what had happened is I stuck that about five feet linear from my what was a, technically my body, my head, and I seemed to notice like that whole week I felt really crappy, and and my my particular symptom was I felt down, depressed, and that's not me normally. I'm upbeat, so I had like I told you, I know enough to be dangerous. So I I kind of wondered about that. I was already kind of aware of that. I ended up changing it to a different unit that was way less powerful. I put even a Faraday cage over my unit and I'm thinking, okay, um, you know, do I need to put a tinfoil over my head? But I was trying to be open-minded to this newer thing that's developing in our industry of talk. Problems went away. Uh, uh, no issues. Um, didn't have the depression. So, you know, what does that mean? Does that mean that that's a conclusive study? This is the problem is we don't have 30 years of like, double-blinded it is for me. N equals one. The, the, and that the, was all I needed. Yeah, but that, in, in my world, that's all that matters. Is in, I get what you're saying, bigger picture, and we're not putting things out there for other people, but you know, yep. you, I always say to people, you're a study of one. I don't care what someone's written in the research paper. If someone says, look, eating prawns is phenomenal for you, you eat a prawn, you feel terrible, you know, your body's telling you everything you need to know. And so, and even if it's a right. placebo, I, I don't care. Placebo is phenomenal. I'd rather people, that's great, you know, take it away, you feel better. Who cares? Results are all that matter, right? Right. Well, in your defense, I might just say that um, because chronic illness is such a hard thing to track and because we're so unique, we're all unique species and we all have genetical differences that makes us unique and beautiful, we end up playing the um, the, re the 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 reduction game, and what I mean by that is, mm. I kind of refer to a lot of things like ver an equation, and you have variables, and and your life is not x plus y equals z, right? Your 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 life is x plus ninety nine other variables <laughs> exactly, equals yeah. you, and and so if you can remove like one that. of the variables, for example, EMF exposure, and you get better, I mean that's to your point, it worked for you, and I think where the real issue is, probably those listening right now would agree to this approach where it becomes a sticking point and troubling is when the reduction is cost prohibitive mm. or uh, there's other stresses, maybe a spouse that doesn't agree with you. Mm. And that's end up that ends up being a lot of what I help people guide through is I try to provide a, a, an objective as much as an objective scientific weight that I can to a particular concern, a particular incident in the home and help guide people to saying, well, does it seem reasonable or you don't have to throw everything out, but maybe you can store it in these bins and get them out of your living spaces and then see how you feel and track your progress. And it's very much a step by step progress, because to the other point of this, if you just simply threw everything out and lived in a tent outside, a lot of people can't do that. There are a lot of people listening that may know somebody or they are them the, themselves that are doing it, but that's not reasonable 
or realistic for most people, especially those who have family members like young children. Yeah, hundred percent. I always so I talk about what you just said. There is one the, the lines uh, quote that I heard from. Do you know who Dr. Thomas Levy is? Uh, don't know if I'm familiar with that. Uh, one, he's that um, he's uh, he's got um, well he's he's an expert on vitamin C. He's, he's got great. And he's one of his mentors said to him like, "You can't dry off when you're still in the shower." So it's sort of like trying to limit as much. <laughs> yeah, trying to limit as much. And so I, 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 it's always stuck with me because I always say that try and limit your exposure as much as possible. And I know people can't live in tents. And look, at the end they were we're modern men in a modern world, but we can reduce stuff and turn your wife off at night is great. And everyone's got a toxic threshold. Um, yep. and, and everyone's different. And so, yeah, I completely understand where you come from. In fact, do you know who Dr. Deborah Davis is, Michael? Yeah. You know, my problem is, is I, I work with so many, but I don't want to say I do. Okay. What's the background on that doctor? Okay. No, Dr. Deborah Davis is like one of the world's leading authorities on EMF. And I always say to people, okay. if you haven't, um, if people were like, uh, on the fence or think it's a conspiracy, I always say, go and listen to some of her, um, lectures. Yep. The lady's got more letters behind the name than the alphabet and, and so she's a right. proper scientist uh, and also nick penalt's got the um i think the, the non-tinfoil hat guy to the emf you know nick yep. yeah so, so i know him yep. yeah so i always say to people like let's go and do your own research and listen to them speak and you know i'm not just just t- take what you what, what you will these are independent studies done and so when it comes to things like that i think there's enough research out now um to 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 at least suggest people not everyone, but a lot of people can be negatively exposed, or even people that aren't aren't sim- symptomatic, or asymptomatic, or haven't got acute issues because of it. You don't know how much that's lowering their threshold. So, you know, it's yeah. but so it's an interesting, interesting conversation. What I want to ask you about that is: Have you noticed since EMF exposure has gone up and Wi-Fi has gone up? Have you noticed anything with the with the mold um, colonies? Have they grown because of this? Mm. You've, you're referring to some studies that are coming uh, from a, a, a certain doctor who's who's claimed through some research that EMF has caused um, molds to amplify or grow. Um, I haven't been able to see an observation that would quantify it. Meaning, I'll give just maybe one basic example where you walk into a room and maybe the 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 room had water damage and mold growth, and it's also con- loaded with electronic equipment and that sort of thing. That that would show differently than, um, say, another room that's the opposite of that with water damage. Um, I, I, I think that you still, I think it's potential. I, that's really where the question is leading is, does EMF complicate other things like microbial growth in the form of amplifying it? I, I certainly can't argue that it can't. I think you have to dive into the details and say, well, is it because EMF is a stressor that mold is growing, but the mold still needs my still needs moisture to grow what is the environment that makes it conduces or or not so i have been my radar has been up i've heard about that but i haven't personally seen an area where i can go this just seems so abnormal for the leak to 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 represent the mold or the bacteria growth that we're actually seeing in other words i don't see an alien version of what we would otherwise normally see if there's water damage and it's been there long enough Typically, the microbial growth that you see is consistent with where that dampness or water damage has occurred. The fact that it may have grown more or less because of EMF exposure, I think that's a great question that needs to be looked into further. Yeah, I, I actually hadn't read those studies. That was just my brain going, asking questions, which I've always ah. so I was just, just yep. thinking <laughs> and viruses, pathogens, bacteria, these things, you know, when they're stressed or they feel that they're being attacked, they generally 
you know, they can proliferate and they can adapt and change and maybe get stronger, uh, like uh, antibiotics, you know, do. Sure. Um, so I was just wondering if, you, if you've seen that especially. But, yeah, no, I'm, and I'm sure you're, you're, you're in the trenches. So if, if, if it does happen, you'll probably be aware of it more than anyone. So, um, Well, or at least, hear, at least hear about it. And that's the thing. Yeah. Is we, I, think the, I think the takeaway, though, you know, it's a great question. And I think certainly from a scientific standpoint, you know, if there was the ability to do an independent study controlled, all that good stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, it still boils down to how would we address it differently? Yeah. You know, it's in other words, even if EMF didn't affect growth in a bad way, meaning it, it was creating um, it wasn't creating. How do I say this? It wasn't creating new strains of mold or it wasn't um, cr- creating more mold than what would otherwise grow. It's not like you and I would say, well, you know what? Then go ahead and leave that big high powered Wi-Fi router alone. We're still going to say the things that we do because we understand that everyone is unique. And there's not a formula that is specific, a, a guide, if you will, that says, oh, well, we've looked at Mrs. Smith's blood or urine analysis, and it came back X, Y, and Z. And based off of that, she can be exposed to these exact quantities. Maybe we'll be there in the space age, you know, another 100,000 years, but we're not there today. So we end up making more holistic recommendations, yeah. which are things like reduce your EMF admissions, keep your house dry, remediate these sources, and so on and so on. Yeah, so that's actually what I was going to ask. What I always say that holistic approach. If you're doing lots of that stuff, it's gonna, it's gonna pay dividends in the in the end. You know, it's gonna boost you. And even if it takes, sometimes people they say, oh, how quickly will I get get better? It's like, well, how long's a piece of string? It's, it's a it's a it's quite a loaded question. And and unfortunately, the answer, like you said, subjective. It's, it's always depends. And and anyone who's an expert in any of their criteria, that's probably their answer for a lot of questions because it does depend on you. You are individual, and and unfortunately, you know, we're not robots. It's not just plug and play. No, and it's frustrating for everyone. It's Mm -hmm. it's frustrating for the patients that are in the trenches dealing with the illness um, to hear that. And um, many tears have been shed between me and clients over the years because they're really um, the example I use just to sympathize for thirty seconds with those listening who might be experiencing uh, illness and 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 looking for understanding is that kind of like you're swimming in the ocean or treading water in the ocean and it's dark you can't see land you don't know how deep the water is and you don't know how many sharks or whatever uh, fish that scares you uh, is floating around you and you're looking for comfort you're looking for something to float on you're looking for land and you don't know where it's at you don't even know up from down after a while and i think that's the scariest part is that there's a lot of folks out there that feel that way and when i've explained it in that manner they connect a lot and um so it's overwhelming, but the good news is, is that you have folks like myself, folks like Ryan and other people that are out there that they're not going to be able to solve world peace for you. But if you have 100 questions and we're able to answer 80% of them, you might feel like you won the lottery that day because you're heading in the right direction on your road to recovery. And so we hear you. It's, it's complicated and it's frustrating and we don't want it to be frustrating. I'm sure there'll be a day where maybe we can offer a, a, a solution you just click this button and it'll you know <laughs> it'll solve everything but we're not there yet and we want to be there for those for those people and 100 percent i've dealt with people with that mold in the house and it's hard because their bodies but said before it's always in a stressed state so it, it won't even get down to the level where the where the, where the um, parasympathetic can, can kick in um mm. and so it's hard to heal but and i and um and for those people you know I'm good at, well, because we we'll go on to we we'll go on to other things. I want to go into symptoms, preventions, and stuff as you as you mentioned sure. a little bit before. But sure. for those people, like at what point does it get to to what point does it get where someone has to move house? Like yeah, that string example and the word uh, it depends is mm. uh, is very applicable here. Um, 
You know, it's a case by case situation. And, and but I can give you kind of a somewhat of an answer. I think it boils down to how much money and time they're willing to spend. Um, and, and it's not from the standpoint of a maximum. It's can we say step one is do X and X depends on what are we are, do we need to remediate something? Do we need to improve something? Do we need to clean something? And then maybe step two is they go visit their clinician and they look at clinically. Is there improvement? Are they or is there enough indication of improvement that they can keep things as is in the home? And if the answer to that question is no at that point, then step three is, well, what can I do further? And you start looking at, well, are there other sources in the home, right? And if the answer to that is, well, no, we don't necessarily have any other sources in the home, but maybe we can do things like get rid of reservoirs like carpeting, or we can do better air filtration uh, or mechanical ventilation where we're bringing in fresh air from the outside. And that would be a big step three. And eventually the client says, yeah, here's the problem with that, Mike. I'm not willing to spend that money. I'd rather sell my home and start new because, you know, there's a whole host of reasons why. That's the breaking point to answer your question for that individual. The next person may say, yeah, I'm willing to go step three and see how that works. And if that doesn't work, then I'll move out. So there's no black and white. And I've never, well, that's not quite true. I've had one home where it was so bad, it just seemed like a bulldozer would have been the best option at that point to start over. But most homes I think are recoverable. It's just an issue of to what, how extensively they're, they're, they, they need to be fixed. Right. And yes, I'm sure you've seen some really bad ones, but sometimes they're not that bad. It's just, do you have the money for it? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah, it was more, yeah, it was more to the point of, is it, is it worth them sitting through that and trying to sort out the house rather than just moving into an environment, which hasn't got that? Do you know what I mean? Even if it means, well, moving- let's engage that. Let's engage that because that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful topic. And I think it's deserving. So what, what are they walking into? Is this a question of they're jumping from the frying pan into the fire? Hmm. Um, if they're going to rent a new place, what if it's worse than the place they just went from that they own? Um, we, the problem is, and again, this is why I mean, there's really no cookie cutter solution for everybody because everyone has a unique set of circumstances, whether it's logistical issues, financial issues, um, and, and, and uh, spousal issues. Um, but obviously one of the other challenges is what is the criteria beyond money to determine whether or not that environment's good enough? Um, I worked with a client yesterday where, um, she acknowledges that she's getting better, but she still has symptoms. And the and the million dollar question was, um, well, is that good enough for you then that you'll actually continue to get better because you're doing treatment with this clinician in your area and that in another few months, your symptoms are going to disappear, but yet you didn't do anything to the home. You just, it's, it's good enough for you to get better. So it's a very subjective question because if the client tells you, Mike, uh, I, my criteria for for me to live in this home is I want to have no symptoms, but they're dealing with mast cell activation syndrome or MCS or having PTSD issues, or they're just highly symptomatic. That may not be a realistic goal period. Mm. Now I'm, I'm saying that subjectively, I'm not a clinician, but I don't, I don't know that we on a Monday, they can be in a bad home and then they can rent a home on a Tuesday and everything's going to go away. So it's a loaded question. And my advice for those people listening is that you need to work with a professional uh, which would be an environmental professional and also a cl- your clinician to guide you through some sort of a two or three or four step program that may take months for you to figure out. And for a vast majority of people, they're willing to do that. And for a vast majority of people I've worked with, that's been the solution. They try things and then they'll get to a financial cutoff point and say, okay, that's it. We're done. We're going to start new and take the chance. Yeah, make makes sense. You know, it does make sense, and it, and it's, and it's well, it's it's um, 
yeah, the, I'd say the most logical way of doing things, really, um, seeing how you can get, because let's be honest, most people don't want to um, overhaul their life. It becomes another stress. <laughs> and so, yep. yeah, and so that can put them back. So you mentioned a couple of terms there, just for people out there, carpeting. What does that mean? Oh, carpeting, like a carpeted area um, right. you, versus hard flooring. So the, cons- the, the overall concern there is that uh, if you have carpeting or rugs, um, you, you, you have the potential for dust to build up and, and whatever else is inside of that dust. And historically it's kind of a harder surface to clean and maintain. Um, and when you take a particle counter, for example, in a home with carpeting, in my experience, typically the counts compared to outsides will be a higher percentage than the same type of home with hard flooring. And so, um, but if it costs you $15,000 or 15,000 pounds, to replace your carpeting with a hard flooring alternative, you might say, Mike, I don't have the money for that. So that was just one low, le- one high level thing that we talk about with certain clients who have carpeting or rugs. Is there something you can do to reduce the buildup of contaminants in the home? It's not necessarily the source of them, but it's a place where they can build up. Yeah, they can. Build, uh, so I wanted to go, top, go into that because most people don't realize just how toxic carpet is, even in its own, like, can it be off-gassing? Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, right, it can right. be, like, hugely off-gassing. And I think they did a study, and it said, like, a child playing on a carpet, it's the same as him having five cigarettes after, like, six hours. Wow. And um, wow. And, and it was just, because now you've got, you know, you've got flametide and volatile uh, VOCs, you know, and there's just so many things on organic compounds, as well as, the top the, the molds funguses that can build up and especially got people got pets that have been outside the pet goes on the carpet anything goes in and then the wet or whatever else and i always say to people you know <laughs> you can't see my, my floor here hardwood throughout i was just like hardwood hard, hardwood or, or tiles because at least you can pick it up with a hoover and carpets it's it's, it's it's unless i mean now people got fancy rugs and stuff it's fair enough but it's just if the majority of your house is carpeted it's just like allergies and not even if you've got molds and yeast, but this has got allergies and stuff. These things can build up. Oh yeah, no, right on. And, and the, the angle that you were coming from is even the carpet in itself, maybe not from a biologic standpoint other than just a reservoir, but yeah, you're right. The off gassing of the glues and the adhesives, especially used underneath carpeting has always been a concern. And you go back into this idea of you live in a confined space. And mm-hmm. so this off these, these products off gas and there's a higher than normal concentration. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Really tough to know, though, right? Because the problem is, is that the general industry for building homes or even remodeling homes hasn't really caught up or willing to spend the money or willing to accept the importance of using these types of products that we're getting at that might be a safer alternative. So it's a real struggle for the people out there. But when they can do it, we we, we recommend some resources and things like that that can help them find better products than what they may currently have in their home. No, awesome. I mean... I'll be honest, Michael. This is—I've been doing this for a long time now, but I only got into it because I was—I was ill. So most people don't don't get into it because they got strong constitutions, or or well, at least they did have. Not, but more people now are get are getting this way because there's so much impacting them, or so much about that. Generally, people when they get like these sort of issues, they're like, "Oh, okay." What I said once again, get out of. You can't drop if you're not uh, when you're in the shower. So one thing I can do is, if I can do it, or if I'm going into a new home, or if if I can decorate my new place, you know what? If I'm thinking of getting a carpet or hardwood, 
I just go hardwood, and it looks better, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, but your your point that's an ex- your example there is actually perfect because see, there's sometimes there's opportunities, yeah. and when we work with clients, it's like, oh, well, you were planning on remodeling this area anyway. Well, hey, let's let's kill two birds with one stone, uh, if you excuse the expression, mm-hmm. and and do that alternative for them because you already were going to redo this area anyway. So it, this is the point. It's yeah. so customized that we just don't have a cheat sheet for people. I mean, we can give you hard overlying things that we want you to do, but then people are still left with how do I, how do I apply these? How do I weight these, mm. uh, order them in my own home? It's, that's been always the challenge. So, so for people, for people out there, because prevention, well, we're going to get, get into it. In fact, before we get into that, new homes in any home, how quickly can mold develop if you've got a brand new home i mean does it matter i mean what how long do you have to be doing things wrong or is it like having the <laughs> having the windows open and condensation coming in or when yeah. you're having a shower these things and mold can build like how long do you have to be doing things wrong for it to build yeah yeah no i uh, i think it, so <laughs> we'll depends. start with the word it depends yeah. <laughs> um but then then you know i think there's best case worst case right yeah. so or maybe maybe we could say fastest versus slowest. Um, some of the studies that uh, have been out for a while, and it's funny because a lot of the ones I've referenced actually come from the food industry because mold has a, a big influence in in that in that industry. Um, shows that when culturing under ideal condition conditions that you might have mold colonize and visually see it within say 24 to 48 hours. Mm. You know, as a general rule of thumb. But these are more perfect conditions, um, you know, ideal environments, ideal moisture, ideal nutrients to, for it to grow in. There are other molds where they've shown that it has taken literally weeks and months, um, you know, many weeks to uh, three or four months to grow where they are very slow growing. You know, think about maybe mold that might grow in a crawl space under a home. There might be fast growers, of course, in there, but there could be molds that there's just enough moisture that's not ideal for it, but it will technically grow at an, at an incredibly slow weeks or months rate. And over many years, because you've been doing it wrong, to use your example, well, yeah, yeah. it has colonized and and became an issue over many years. So it that's depends. a dangerous one. To 40. That's a, that? the slow creeper could be a dangerous one, one you don't see. Well, or 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 just one that you discount because um, beyond the fact that it, it creeps and, and maybe takes a really long time to grow, maybe some of the environments that that might happen in, and this certainly isn't meant to be an exhaustive or all-encompassing example, but take a crawl space. They're very common in the states in certain areas, and you have areas where people look at a crawl space and they're like, yeah, but it's a crawl space. It's, it's not an operating room. I, I'm not going to eat in there. I'm not going to perform heart surgery in there. And, you know, heck, we have water in the wintertime that um, pulls up underneath there. And and we're sitting here going, yeah, but that's the perfect environment for there to be a microbial source. And there's definitely pathways between your crawl space and your subfloor that's right above it for these things to eventually get into the home. So, yes, I don't think that we can be prejudiced and say that there's more or less concern with slow growers versus fast growers. I think we need to be aware of all of it and just ask the question, you know, we're not looking for mold free in your home. We're looking for your house to reflect uh, the term I like to use. And I know it's something that has been referenced in in a standard that we have out here for uh, called the S520, but normal fungal ecology. So right now, everyone that's listening to this, um, you're, you're breathing and inhaling mold spores, mold fragments, mycotoxins, bacteria from the outside. It has nothing to do with the source in your home. And there's very little you can do to certainly eliminate that. That's called normal fungal ecology for the purposes of our conversation. 
we're really trying to look at whether it's a slow grower or a fast grower. Does your environment look like normal fungal ecology or is there a potential source? And if there is, how do we remediate it or prevent it happening in the future? Yeah, uh, awesome. And uh, there's people out there. You said crawl space, yeah? Uh, yeah, right. Uh, the space underneath homes, some homes have like a pier and beam construction where they're technically risen up off the ground so that you can run plumbing or electrical lines or duct work. I don't know how common that is out in your area, though I know, I know some, some homes places. have slight, like mi minor versions. You wouldn't even be able to crawl underneath it, but technically yeah. a gap between the floor and the soil. Uh, but that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to, because uh, I think it's more common in, in the States uh, and, yeah. and Canada, uh, especially yeah. in areas where they get water quite a lot you know in some of your houses in certain places yeah they get but they do have we do have it in here in some places but it was just for a lot of people listening it might be not what's uh cool space? well even an attic space then i yeah, mean, yeah, I mean attic go, space. go yeah, the yeah. other direction yeah it might it might not be as bad but if you if you're living in a damp climate with inadequate ventilation or the potential for the attic to condense with moisture because you have hot air meeting a cool surface and yada 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 these are this is the same issue of mm -hmm. how do we address that space that technically isn't a living space. When I'm referring to crawl or attic, I'm talking about a non-conditioned space. You don't live there. Yeah. You don't go up there. Maybe at most you store your luggage or your seasonal stuff, but that's it. Christmas how tray, do we yeah. address those environments? They're definitely areas of concern. Yeah, awesome. And so for people out there, because prevention, obviously, if it's things when things come, I want to get into, get into that. So yeah. before we get into cure prevention what can what can people do to stop these things happening because i mean i did i was going to ask you about um the symptoms that people get from these things but the list is so comprehensive right yeah right yeah it's yeah like, it, it, it's like looking up the word headache online and seeing the results i mean i think it's more about looking at the cluster of symptoms and working with a clinician who's familiar mm -hmm. More more qualified certainly than I am to yeah. say this is indicating an, an, a microbial exposure it's, it's, or not. It's the same as anyone presents with parasitic or fungal problems. You know the the list can be are so extensive. Everything from brain fog to abdominal cramps. That's a big to, one. Yeah, yeah. Brain fog. Brain fog's a huge one. Yeah. Um, skin issues. Not bit. Not poor energy. Um, you know, not being able to sleep. I mean, not being able to sleep. Sensitivity to fragrance. I mean, there's so many things you can go into. You know, um, yeah, and just not feeling yourself. You know, that's the, that's one. Just feeling as you as you said. You know, you're usually happy go lucky or energetic, and you were feeling uh, down, a bit depressed. You know, these things can, they're like, um, yeah, they can really take over. And when they when they embed, if you don't do things to stop your exposure and to actually work on yourself, they can, uh, they, they're, they're quite mother nature's decomposers. They can really go to town. So yep. what are things that, um, people can do to prevent this happening? Yeah. I think if we're talking about, um, it helps to categorize if we're talking about Go microbial growth, the, the number one thing is keep the place dry. Um, mold's not going to grow if it doesn't have enough moisture. And obviously, uh, I shouldn't say obviously, there's different species uh, of mold and bacteria uh, and other things that require a certain minimum amount of uh, moisture, if you will, to grow or available water activity on a surface to grow. The takeaway here is to keep it dry. Of course, that can I mean, that's a book in of itself. I mean, if it's keep the dry the house dry in the inside of the home, it might be using a dehumidifier. If it's a crawl space or an attic, it might be a combination of can we put some sort of a dehumidifier in there and or proper ventilation. And a lot of times that 
is limited by even the code requirements and working with a local contractor to say, what are my options here? If your overall goal is to minimize condensation. If you're talking about taking a shower, it's having an exhaust fan to lower um, the duration of elevated moisture in that room so that you don't have as many black spots or <laughs> any sort of mold or, or bacteria growing on the ceiling of your shower. Um, again, but then again, that's also a tough place to maintain. It's like being surprised to find bacteria in a toilet bowl. You're going to have it in there. It's more like minimizing it and managing, managing that moisture level in the bathroom. Um, beyond keeping the place dry, there's really not for prevention purposes of mold growing. There's not much you can do. And I only say that because of the following reason. Um, there's nutrients everywhere. People say, you know, like mold can grow on glass. And you might say, well, how does it grow on glass? Well, it doesn't, doesn't, it's not eating or degrading the glass. It's, it's degrading or eating the, um, the debris, the nutrients that settled on the glass. And so you're, we're bombarded. We're surrounded by nutrients, some more rich than others and ideal than others. Like cellulose drywall, for example, uh, is a lot better uh, for mold to grow and amplify than plaster um, because the pH level in plaster isn't as conducive for microbial growth. Um, and there's always going to be a viable mold spore or structure that can grow. So you can't really control the viable mold or microbial that is able to grow and amplify because it's part of our ecosystem. Without it, we ironically wouldn't be here. It's a balance. We're trying to be in harmony with nature. And we've done a poor job as human species uh, in general doing that. Um, and you really can't control nutrients because they're abundant. So keeping the house dry for, for microbial growth is key. Yeah. You understand it's easier when we talk about other things like EMF. Well, it's like reduce exposure mm -hmm. and sometimes it's turn off the, the router at night or, the, or whatnot or it's uh, hardwire your lines um, in the home. You know, things that are higher level that you can't really move a cell phone tower uh, that's, you know, it's parked, you know, 100 meters away from your house. So you have to ask yourself, do I need to do some high level testing or, uh, or buy some meters myself, which there's great people like. The gentleman that you mentioned earlier, there's gentle, people like Brandon LaGraca, there's people like Jeremy Johnson out of San Francisco Bay Area who offer relatively free resources to have you do high-level testing yourself. If you're talking about chemicals, well, then it's an issue of saying, well, prevent bringing in things that are off-gassing. And, and you may raise your hand at an audience, audience member and say, well, it's too late. I moved into this home and had already had it. What do I do? Well, then it just ends up being a case-by-case -case situation. If you're, If your cabinet's are off-gassing formaldehyde or some other sort of chemical, you're probably not going to rip your cabinets off because it's probably too expensive. So you want to rip them out. You want to replace them. But if cost is an issue, you may look at other solutions. And sometimes encapsulation of those cabinets is a solution. Sometimes dilution with fresh air is a solution. There are a lot of high-level things people can do to reduce it, but ultimately working with a professional to prioritize those, I think, is where these people uh, that are in need need to start yeah. so that they're not wasting their time and money. 100%. And what you said there about dilution with uh, air, you know, best solution for pollution is dilution, you know, one of those yep. things. Yeah. And yep. so um, air, having fresh air coming in, you mentioned before, like maybe an air... Um, uh, humidify or dehumidify if you've got in some some wet or damp coming into the windows. Um, you get air filters. Oh, yeah, well, like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, air you're filters. Bringing in, yeah. You're bringing in fresh air from the outside. So bes besides oh, the concerns cool. we have, besides the concerns that we inherently have with climates, bringing in um, fresh air from the outside. The whole idea is that you're trying to dilute 
contaminants that you're otherwise unable to remove through traditional mechanisms like cleaning the house well, or was, air filtration. I, I was, was going to say plants um, might be a good one. Okay, yeah. yeah. But but is that something that you is that is that a filtration system that you guys use? Well, actually, ironically enough, in my own home, I have a system that's very similar to this where it does exactly what it showed in that picture. I don't I think I took it off screen for you a second ago, but yeah. just the idea that it it brings in air from the outside and it actually exchanges it with stale air from the outside. Very good. So on the face of it, you're lowering particles. Here's the real challenge. And it happens all the time, especially in your parts uh, and any other humid climate is you're worried about um, bringing in moisture laden air. Uh, from the outside and potentially causing a secondary issue, which is the production of microbial growth, uh, maybe in the ductwork itself, depending on how it's designed or other factors. So there's a lot of moving parts of how do we even condition the air that's coming from the outside first before we introduce it into our home hmm. so that we don't create a secondary issue. But yes, traditionally with chemicals, going back to the original question, dilution ends up being a solution for lowering concentrations of chemicals uh, when you can't remove the source, so that so that um, air filtration system you just you just showed us that yeah. will affect the air coming in as well. Uh, uh, it, well, it, it will bring in the air as well, and depending on the design, this is just an example. Okay, um, but but they they have units that. Um, you know, with the way they're designed, they can even dehumidify the air. They have units that have um, pre-filters in them to where they can filter the air out for folks. You know, like say they're worried about pollen or molds from outside, you know, before the air ever touches the living spaces or it ever gets connected to the ductwork. If you have ductwork in your home, as an example, it's a great way. Uh, it's a great way to help people that are in that specific situation. But we don't blindly tell folks to do this. We really want to dive into what is the particulars of their home, where are the issues, where are they at, and then figure out where does this step, remember we were talking about steps before, fit. Is this step number one or is this step number four or five? Yep, 100%. And, I, we're, and of course it's subjective, but <clears throat> we're trying to be reasonable. Yeah, no, no, 100%. And that's what I always say, that, that <clears throat> you can do things yourself and it would take you a lot longer and it probably take you a lot more money than going to an expert. Experts are like, it's like using a sat-nav. They'll cut through all the noise and all the nonsense and give you the best route, route there. And that's why I get people like yourself on the show because I want to talk about this. I want people to be aware of what could be going on and then go, oh, actually, I've had some mold yeah. here. I've had some condensation going on for a long period of time. Or there's a crawl space or an attic that, you know, at certain times of the year, you get a funny smell or maybe a bit of damp coming from it. I want people to just be aware of these things because – you know, that or, or the shower room, for example, um, where they've, especially this time of year when it's cold outside and they get heat and the condensation of the windows, if they don't wipe that down or they don't, you know, they don't get something going on where it can actually an extraction or extractor, it can cause issues. So I think it's yeah. just, and then if they have got got it or have, the, and it's too late, it's definitely, well, not even too late, prevention is always better than cure. So going someone like yourself first is, is, is fantastic. If they have got it, Go and see someone like yourself to understand what steps need to be done, what needs to be done first. Does right. does UV light would that, is that a good way of, of curing um, mold spores or colonizations? Sure, uh, another great question. Here's what I can offer on UV light. Um, there certainly are concerns about its use. Um, number one, traditionally has been the production of ozone or other potential byproducts, technically called intermediates that can be created by the use of this purification technology known as UV. Um, the idea of putting a light uh, bulb in a ductwork or, or somewhere. Um, we don't really recommend that because the, um, 
there's other concerns with people who have chronic illness. Remember, we're trying to remove variables from the equation. We don't want to add variables to the equation, which could just be a concern uh, by adding UV because it's a purification device initially. However, here's the however. There are times and situations where, let's say somebody has an air conditioning system and um, they're in a humid climate. And um, because they're evaporative coil, the part that helps cool the air in the summertime uh, is working overtime with all this exposure to moisture. Uh, there tends to be microbial growth that occurs in this evapor uh, this at or around the evaporator coil itself, which is a part of an air conditioning system. And in situations where it's really tough to keep it clean, there are folks that will put an UV light right there and basically try to use it to sanitize or sterilize that yeah, area, yeah. which inherently I don't have a problem with um, because they're trying to see if it will help and see, you know, maybe maybe there's more that needs to be done. The only caveat I would add if they're going to do that, if, if someone's listening, they're like, oh, that's a potential great idea. I've been having mold growth or something in my drain pan or on my coil. The one thing I would caution you is make sure that the plastic components uh, or any components that might otherwise be affected by UV are UV resistance. We've seen stories or heard things about people doing that, and then over two or three years, um, the the drain pan, for example, cracks because it wasn't UV resistant, and now they have a moisture problem because the water's leaking through the crack, and they just created a problem, even though they spent all that time and effort trying to prevent one. Right. So you've got, yeah, you've got to know where well, you've got to be careful. You've got to know what you're doing. Oh, sorry, my alarm has just gone off there. Um, so okay. So, right. For, so for people that may have this or want to get their homes tested, what mm. what are first of all best tests that they can do? People. So yourself, you, you are you only based in Arizona? Are you around? Can people get to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, best best. In terms of availability, I work throughout the country, the site visits wise in the states. But in mm -hmm. terms of phone or virtual consultations, I do those across, you Perfect. know, around the globe. I, I've been in a lot. In fact, if they go to not to just to give people information, if they go to environmentalanalytics.net and they yep. go to the main page, there's actually a map and they can actually see where we've worked with clients before around the globe. But I, and I didn't want to interrupt you is why I hesitated. Um, you're basically asking, is there like a best test or something that we feel is the best indicator? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I didn't mind you because I don't want to get into that anyway. I want to tell people where they can find you because I think it's vital. But it's like, yeah, testing, like what tests they can get done, who they should trust with it, and like how much these tests cost. Like, I mean, what's, okay. what's the sort of like the average cost for these tests or uh, things? Because uh, like everything, I'm guessing there's tests that don't cost as much and there's tests that do cost a lot. That's right. Uh, yeah. So like, man, I'll tell you what, I, I, I think the first disclaimer to that question is, is as soon as I have a good answer for you, I'll let you know and a little bit of humor because I, I, I feel like the test that you collect depends on the question you're trying to answer. Um, and I'll give you a 30 second example, then I'll, I'll make some, some thoughts and suggestions. Um, if you're, if you're somebody who has a chronic illness and you're laying on in a hospital bed and your doctor is worried about a pathogenic exposure, like they're afraid you're going to have aspergillosis grow in your lungs, then, you know, the focus is on viable mold. And so in the old traditional model of assessing people would be to collecting Petri dish samples or culturing with auger media and seeing what grows because the growth was the concern. It was, if something doesn't grow then they weren't as concerned that the, the, the paradigm of what we're in today has changed. It's looking, it's not that that's not a concern. It's more about focusing on people who have chronic exposure where the viability of the mold isn't the only concern. It can be dead. It can be 10 years old, 
20 years old. And if it's a source that's communicating in your living spaces or workspaces, then then there is a concern by certain people, um, medical professionals, certain diagnoses like CIRS, for example, which is a huge one where the inflammatory response from your innate immune system and you being genetically susceptible is the concern. And in plain English, it doesn't matter whether it's alive or dead in that model. So to answer your question about the best test methods, I don't know that there's a best one, but I will acknowledge uh, that a huge test that's been used is something that the audience probably knows as ERMI, um, uh, this whole idea of a surface dust sample that they can collect um, in their home uh, and uh, I, I guess I should probably say, uh, ERMI stands for environmental relative moldiness index, but I want to, I want to have some stress, some huge, uh, issues and concerns for the audience. Um, ERMI, the way most people understand it, which can be a more expensive test. And there are labs that offer kind of a do it yourself kit. Uh, you know, they range anywhere from, you know, I know I'm talking in, in the U.S. numbers here, but somewhere between $250 and $300, so whatever the conversion is there. Um, but the problem is, is that a lot of people uh, think that by collecting these samples that they're going to be able to interpret their total exposure, which is very far from my experience to be the truth. Um, you know, they don't have kits for heart surgeons, right? Like you can't go to your box store and be a heart surgeon by taking a kit and thinking you're an expert. There's so much that goes into the interpretation of these samples that unfortunately some of these labs don't provide. However, one of the reasons I do like qPCR sampling is because it can identify those fragments that I was telling you about in earlier. Um, if there's DNA in a mold structure, whether it's a spore or a fragment or a hyphal um, structure, and it's one of the 36 molds that they're testing for in an ERMI, um, then, it, then it could potentially be picked up. What we don't like, and again, this is just my experience, is we don't like when people use the graph. Um, there's an ERMI graph that was developed through this EPA research in the States that was, you know, commercialized in 2006, where you do an ERMI dust sample, you just look at the score, you wouldn't even really pay attention to any of the molds, you just look at the score, and then you'd see where you're at on a graph. Well, that has been seemingly proven to not be, by itself, the best indicator of a problem by simply just looking at the graph. And if you, and to just help the audience here in the next couple minutes better understand it, there's been other people like Dr. Richie Shoemaker, some of you listening may be familiar with that name, who came up with their own criteria using an ERMI dust sample. And Dr. Shoemaker wasn't looking at the graph. He was simply looking at the patients and saying, gee whiz, whenever someone has an ERMI score above two, even despite treatment, these people weren't giving better. And eventually that evolved to a hurts me sample, which was basically the same type of sample, but it was only looking at five molds and it gave you a score. Um, and you can collect these samples. You can order these kits uh, from a couple known labs here in the States and they'll send them your way and you can get a sample result. But at the end of the day, it's just a, it's like anything else that you deal with, Ryan. It's just a tool. It's another bit of evidence. It doesn't it's not the all seeing eye. It's not going to predict the future. It's a tool that you can use. And there have been situations, quite frankly, when I do samples using qPCR analysis, which is what ERMI is, I like to refer to it as the analysis method. So I people, actually look at the individual species. So for people out there, just quickly, because usually quite yeah. a few acronyms there, CRIS, QPRC, yeah. um, QP, what do these stand for? Oh, sure. Uh, thank you for that. Um, so qPCR is quantitative polymerase chain reaction. I know that's a mouthful, so that's why we call it qPCR. <laughs> and qPCR is just the methodology. If you look under a sample under a microscope, that's called microscopy. This is called qPCR. 
And it's a it's a very expensive machine that's looking for DNA and samples um, and trying to it's a more forensic, more detailed analysis. It's also a more expensive yeah. analysis to answer your previous question where. So there, the, the takeaway from qPCR and, and, and this this dust sample is that there people a lot of people out there know that there are these kits, but where they're running into problems is they collect the samples and they don't really know what to do with the result. Um, and uh, just for the record, when I do these samples, I'm looking ma- at a majority of just the just the species themselves and the physiology of them. I'm saying, okay, does it make sense that this mold is present? Uh, if I was to share my screen with you one more time, just to give you a, a quick sneak peek, the, you know, I'm looking at outdoor control samples and indoor samples and comparing it. I mean, I'm getting into the numbers is my point. And and I'm not I don't care what the score is at the bottom because that doesn't help me. I'm looking at does it make sense that this house at yeah. this residence has these quantities based off of controls and other history of the home? Well, your average person is not going to, your yeah. average uh, client is not who does this doesn't have that information. They're not the professional, which leads me to the second thing. What's the best? Well, for me, the best thing it has nothing to do with a sample. It's to educate yourself about what your problem is. Work with an IEP. It doesn't have to be me. There are other people out there. In fact, I can give you a couple resources at the end if you're interested and see if they can guide you to figure out whether or not it even makes sense to do a qPCR dust sample or maybe it does make sense to do Petri dish sampling. There are other kits out there where people will say, well, I like to do Petri dish where there's a, it's basically just a small plate that's got a, a media in there, a nutrient for mold to grow, and they'll stick it in the home and they'll look for mold to grow. But you can do that and you won't spend you know, $250, $300 on that analysis, but do you know how to interpret it is the problem. Yeah, just because I, mold grows on a Petri dish doesn't mean you have a problem. Yeah, I mean, for these things, I'm always like, Wade Lightheart, he's, uh, I don't know if you know who Wade Lightheart is, he's um, got a company called Bioptimizers, phenomenal for digestion and he said something on a show I um I was listening to him before and before I had him on the show and I brought it up and he said look we can make cheaper supplements or people can go and buy cheaper supplements but there's nothing more expensive than a supplement doesn't work right and this is how I feel about the tests what's the point of getting the cheaper test if it doesn't work and as you said I, I say to my clients all the time cool they've tested you for this and they've told you that you've got arthritis they haven't told you why you've got arthritis that's the key. So not only do you need to interpret the test and see what you've got, but you need to know what's going on. And that's why it's important, in my opinion, to work with someone because it cuts through all that. Well, and, and let me just use one more easy example for me as I've been in a number of cases where the client, you know, is interested in looking at exposure. The clinician is looking interested in getting results of the home. So there's no argument that the client and the clinician want to have some metric, some test in the home to see where it's at. Meanwhile, meanwhile, there's four or five areas in the home that have strong or obvious evidence of a microbial source, which begs the question, drumroll, should we take care of that problem or pursue it further before you spend any quantity of money to address exposure? You're going to do all this testing up front, this uh, exposure testing, and then you're still going to need to potentially remediate a problem. And then you're going to go, oh, crap, I need to resample again in the future. Well, you could have saved money. And, and spent that towards more useful action items to help get your home better, truly trying to put the client's needs here. This just emphasizes the need to work with professionals when you can to try and prioritize what's the next uh, step for uh, you. 100%. I'm always saying, so you've got a heart problem. 
And they go, oh, you've got a heart problem. Cool, I'm going to cut myself open and try and play around with my heart myself. No, you go to a heart surgeon. <laughs> you know, it's just why, because you want to, it's true. Like, I always say this to people, it's just, from my, my experience, it's been so much, you know, once you're playing around with things you don't know, you're not professional in it. You know, what I said to people, would you go and try and fix your car if you didn't have a clue about about how to do it? You know, you go to a mechanic or you go and cut your own hair. I know you go to a hairdresser. You know, it's just one yeah. of those things. And so I 100% agree. And with with these things, is is, is all mould um, and all funguses that you find, are they all able to be removed? Uh, or are some properties um, too far gone? Or and when it comes to those things, as you mentioned there, are you going to do that? here or you're going to go to the root of it you know what are the what sort of costs and do people have to move out of the house yeah the 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 question i think was can you remove all of it and a uh, tricky question um happy to entertain it it so when we talk about remove i think the first sorry, question uh, is what so yeah when i'm um, when i meant that as well michael sorry i mean just i don't mean because i know you're gonna it's gonna be there i mean at least bring it within livable standards do you, do you, you know yeah Oh, well, okay. So maybe the question then, if it was said, can you return it to a pre-loss state, like a pre-exposure state? Yeah, yeah I think you can. It's still, it, again, it boils down to how much money and what is the metric that defines pre-loss? If someone goes out there and says, well, the metric is a qPCR sample, well, then that's your metric. Well, if the, if the metric is a mycotoxin dust sample, well, then that's your metric. If the metric is a uh, spore trap sampling in the air, uh, not that we're necessarily proposing any of these options, just to be clear, um, then that's your metric. And that to me is this, uh, is is inherently bias. Um, it's helpful for an IEP or a professional to give guidance, but you know, the true metric of success is not the testing, it's the patient recovering. And so if the person is in their home, they've had a water intrusion, and they ask the question, Mike, should I remediate it? Is it, is it worth it? Well, we're, we're worth it is up to you is mm. spending 5,000 pounds to remediate something and, and, and clean the home up using, you know, specific recommendations that don't necessarily even cost an arm and a leg. I know that there are other situations that do cost quite a bit. Is it worth it for you? Well, yeah, it's worth it for me because I'm, I'm a millionaire, but there are other people where it may not be worth it because they only have 2000 pounds to spend. And this remediation project alone is only going to cost 5000 It's a very good question. It's just so difficult to answer yeah. because it depends on the target we're looking at. Yeah, I, I just I've got to ask them, even though there's not even though there's not a uh, definitive answer. It's always I just need to ask them so people can understand. Like cause they need to, you need to ask the question, and the, and you and they deserve to hear the question and and where we're at in the answer. I mean, anybody. Let, let me say it this way. Anybody that offers you a guarantee is inherently not putting your needs first because how do they how can they possibly know um, that whatever they do to your home remedial cleaning is going to make it good enough for you? Are they a DNA whisperer? Can they can they talk to your body and figure it out? Obviously, it's a rhetorical question. They can't. So it, it, that's a little bit discouraging, right? I mean, you the audience understands. Okay, yeah, you got a good point, Mike. You want to be careful. If someone's offering guarantees. How can they really do that? You know, for me to get better. I think the sobering part of it is that this is this re this is just a reminder of the theme of many topics we've covered today, which is that this is new frontier. We are learning. We are acquiring. This is not something we've known for hundreds of years. This is something that we're just figuring out. Oh, crap. This is a big issue. Oh, you know what? We've lived our life. I mean, a lot of things were all acute. I broke my arm. I need to fix it. I have a heart attack. I need to address that. Those are more acute problems that people can look at, point at and go, OK, yep, that's a problem. Then we woke up one day as a as a species and said, you know what? Why am I feeling this way? Or why is it all of a sudden that somebody 20, 30 years later after living in a moldy basement had some issue when there was no other precursor? There was no 
there was no family history of the problem. But all of a sudden, this person is special. And the and all of a sudden, our species woke up and said, you know what? We've been living under the model. And of course, not. this is my opinion under, you know, we just have to worry about big things like not getting hit by a bus or avoiding a heart attack. And what we're looking at today is chronic low dose long term exposures, which are very hard to quantify, especially in a home that's a moving target. Hashtag work with a professional and have them guide you through this complicated process. Uh, yeah, I mean, as as the uh, ancient Chinese proverb says, you know, even well, dripping in water eat, eventually eats through stone. And so if, yeah. you're, if you have right. chronic low, low in exposure for that period of time, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> I always say to people, oh, yeah, but. How comes um, they've got this and I'm 60 years old and I haven't got anything? Cool. You might when you're 61. You know, like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I'm not trying to be doomsman. I'm just trying to say this is why you need to, this is why you need to take these things into consideration because everyone was healthy once until they weren't. And so this is why I always think it's important to tell people this because people sit there living, I've got a problem. Yeah. Well, and, that, and their takeaway was that some people look at it linear. Yeah, they, yeah. they think that, you know, this person's, you know, this age and they have, it, but I don't. So what does that mean? And trust me when I say I get it, like I'd love for our lives to be more linear in terms of understanding and interpreting what's going on. But what we are finding is that not only is it not necessarily as linear, it's just very hard to define because of the soup that you mentioned earlier, Ryan, you're not just looking at mold even, you're looking at potential EMF exposure and chemical exposure and maybe underlying diet issues. And how does that all synergistically work for and against you in your road to recovery? 100%. And like, because you mentioned, it, you said it's like futuristic and, and, and it's sort of like the, the way things are going. Um, more tests and stuff. I wanted to ask you, like, segue onto it. Anything you've been working with recently, like you've found or found that's made made your diagnosis diagnosis easier or better, or anything you stumbled across that's been a bit of a game changer for you in terms of in terms of that? From a from a a, a field testing or assessment approach, um, certainly there's some core, you know. A flashlight and a pair of eyes is always going to be important. Um, a client interview is also huge. But to your question on uh, question on testing, um, we're still looking at it. Um, we are looking at some new stuff. Uh, the the testing of bacteria, uh, gram positive, gram negative, um, just to see whether or not we can use it in the field uh, to help us environmentally identify. An expo- a source in the home that might otherwise be missed with, say, for example, traditional mold sampling or even the, the qPCR sampling. Um, uh, we're looking at different ways of capturing the samples, not just dust. Dust gives us history, but there's pros and cons to every type of testing, including dust sampling. And so, uh, you know, can we collect stuff in the air? And if we do that, how 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 can we interpret it? Um, the latest and greatest with the testing is just that it's more of a work in process. The other thing that we're working on, which has nothing to do with that question, but has to do with the educational component is I'm excited to say that I'm in, in the works with a colleague of mine and, um, a university. I can't tell the name right this moment, but a a well-known university, um, in developing a program to help train people to become IEPs like myself and like our colleagues who understand it. Cause that's the other issue that you're, you're audience members are likely thinking is that's all well and good, but the the supply is low and the demand is high and we need more folks out there to help us get through all of this. So we're working on it. We understand, we hear you and, and we're, we're wanting to try to get, 
get that answered. No, hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I think it's going to be. Yeah, you guys are in a, a, a grow growing industry, same as I mentioned before with Brian and the EMF stuff. I think it's something that people are going to. It's 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 almost in its infancy now, and it's going to get continue to get bigger because the more more issues we have. But awesome. Sure. So so what? Last last thing, because I know I've kept you for a little while here, Michael. Last thing, okay. any, anything um anything that you would like to say. To, to sort of wrap up, like anything you say to people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, well, I think we did such a really good job at doing today is actually touching on a lot of those points. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing that has helped me uh, work with patients and what I've learned is, first of all, to be able to slow down and appreciate where people are coming from. And if you can't be empathetic, you can at least be sympathetic and, and listen to where they're coming from, because I think it's kind of like the first stage is admitting you have a problem. Um, when you're working with people, um, it's important. This might not just be for, of course, the patients, but it's certainly for any professionals listening. It's really important to understand that just because you might not understand why somebody is feeling a certain way, you understand that this is what they're claiming and this is what you have to work with. And how can you find a way to address it with science and reasonable rationale? Um, the other thing, uh, which is obviously huge and insinuated by that first point is that they work with somebody. Um, most people that reach out to me, uh, it's not, it's usually not the, their, their first call. I'm, I, hopefully I'm their last call, but you, historically they've worked with two, three, four clinicians, two, three, four inspectors. And there's so much minutia of data that's either conflicting or it's an, it, it's not answering the same question, but someone's arguing it is that they are lost. It's that person floating in the ocean trying to figure out what to do. And so if you can work with a professional and you have resources um, to visit, you have the International Society of Environmentally Acquired Illness.org or IC.org, ICI, the letters I-S-E-A-I.org, not to be confusing. You have survivingmold.com. You have you have resources, and I'm sure there are others, and Ryan can certainly mention those if and as needed, where people can go to and try and find professionals. They don't have to necessarily be boots on the ground. They don't, they don't have to. I'd like them to be local, but if you're one of those people that live in the middle of nowhere, that's been one of your challenges, hasn't it? That you haven't been able to drive or have somebody come out to your place. You still have people like me who can talk to you and guide you, and there are certain things that these people can do on their own. Uh, I'm not necessarily going to have somebody who's highly susceptible to mold remediation in their home, but there's other aspects of the job that they can do in the process that they can manage. And by the way, do it for a fraction of the traditional cost. Work with a professional. And the last thing I can tell you is if I can offer a suggestion on success, because that's always asked, how do I know it's enough? Will it be safe enough? These things. Um, what I have learned to be the most responsible answer to that is to work with your clinician, F have a baseline on where you're at today, whatever action you do, it's remediation, it's cleaning, it's some improvement to the home or perceived improvement to the home, then retrack using the same metric. So if your clinician is using, using urine, if you're as an analysis or as a metric, if they're using neuroquant. If they're using blood markers, if they're using cluster of symptoms, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not qualified to tell you what that metric is. It's whatever it is. And you agree with it. Track that again in another month or two or three and look for progress because chronic illness is not something that you can turn on and off and, and, and provide a solution to overnight. It's not a light switch. It takes usually months to the model that I'm used to seeing is anywhere from nine to 18 months that people get from the road of a, a known exposure and illness to recovery. And it may be longer depending. But the point is, is if you can use that as a metric 
then that will make you feel good and give you some sense of where you're at in that ocean. When it's really dark, you have no clue of whether or not what you did is really helping you or not. And the reason I'm telling you that is because the road to recovery looks like a roller coaster ride. You may trend better, but you're going to have the bad days. And on the days that you have a bad day, I don't want you to be laying on your pillow going, oh, man, I should have done this or I should have done that. This is why it's important to work with your clinician and have them track your progress so that you can have numerical evidence that you're heading in the right direction. Awesome, my man. Thank you for that, Michael. I think you've covered so much there, and I think it's really important for people to understand that. You know, at the end of the day, there's no point in just, just taking a stab in the dark. You might as well work with someone who knows what they're doing and then cut and cut through all the, the nonsense. And it's um, been we've covered a lot there. So thanks for coming on the show. And just people out there, you said environmentalanalytics.net. Are you on uh, Facebook or Instagram at all? Uh, Facebook, yes. You can type in um, environmental analytics. Um, uh, uh, on there and you'll find me. Uh, thanks for asking. And also, um, as another thing too, for free information, um, IEP radio, uh, com. um, IEP indoor environmental professional, but the actual website is IEP radio, one word.com. And the only reason I plug that real quick is because it's free information. Some of you folks out there is like, that's all well and good guys, but we don't have a dime to use. Is there anywhere information where we can learn some of these fundamentals, whether it's topics on chronic illness, topics on EMF, topics on mold remediation, all that information and more is on that site free and available for you to listen to. Awesome. Thank you very much, Michael. The listeners will definitely appreciate that. Thanks for coming on, my man. It's been uh, it's been great. I definitely get you. Uh, well, when I'm, I'm sure things will, well. As you said, you've got some new testing sexual going on when that happens uh, and the university you've been working for. I'll give you a shout and maybe you can let people know what's going on. Oh, we'll be looking forward to that. Um, and thank you, Ryan, for the opportunity. I appreciate it. So there you have it, guys and girls. Michael Scrantz from environment, environmentalanalytics.com. And also you can find him at iepradio.com where he's got, uh, well, he's got his own podcast and he would be talking all about the issues that we raised here and this goes to show how important it is to to lead a healthy lifestyle so we can boost our immune systems or get our immune system as high as possible or strong as possible build a strong constitution so these things don't affect us or at least they don't make as big an impact um, but he has got great information there and as michael said he does do remote um, consultations so if you have got an issue and you want to want to look at your home or get it expected he, he can help there and that's it environmentalanalytics.com and there will be links to, to the websites in the show notes which is fantastic and um, yeah we'll be getting him back on the show because I'm sure this this area will continue to yeah, develop and expand and grow and, and the technology will get better so it's something we'll definitely be looking into in the future I'll get Michael back on uh, so that's it for this week's show as always guys if you're heading over to www.reviveyourself.co we've got our shop there which is full of pr uh, products right what I recommend things that I use and I wouldn't recommend anything I wouldn't use myself all come you know top top quality organic a lot of them are wild crafted and fermented non-toxic world-class products for you if you want meal replacements or protein powder or sun cream or toothpaste or soap or whatever it is from, from evolution organics we've got finchy clinic there and ancient purity very very powerful um also got uh aquitaire whole whole house for water filtration systems i always say to people 
People ask me what the best filters, uh, like Brita filter or Carafe, and I say, look, at the end of the day, if you want to play that game, you should really get your your house filtered, your whole house filtration system, because it's not just the water you're using in, um, whether you're showering in or you're drinking, but you're also cleaning your teeth in it, you're kicking your food in it, you're washing your clothes in it, so it's really, really important to have clean water throughout the house, and Aquatare there, it's got fantastic um, systems from Graham Brenner uh, he's a rocket scientist and you know he takes out 99.9% of all the nasties you get in your water and we've got options for one, two, three or four bedroom houses and hard and soft water depending where you live also got our um, our link to the ancient purity sorry ancient purity to essential oil wizardry uh, if you haven't listened to my episode with Dr Nick Berry I suggest you go back and do that I've got two episodes of him the last one was episode 145 and he's talking about so many different issues and how and how um, essential oils can help them and if you put in the code REVIVE there you're going to get 10% off on all of our products or all of our products all of his products but using our code so that's REVIVE10 and uh, blueblocks.com if you're looking for blue blocking glasses I wear mine every night as soon as the sun goes down uh, from Andy Manf and if you go to www.blueblocks.com Blocks. That's b l u b l o x dot com. You'll get ten percent off with the code revive there as well. Um, yeah, something that I, I highly suggest, especially we far we've got far too much exposure from blue light, especially at night, and it's leading to all manner of health issues. So the best in the business, in my opinion. Blue blocks, definitely, definitely the best styles, um, which is fantastic. And uh, yeah, you know. All these things add up. It's not just nutrition, it's also the light, uh, the water you're drinking, how much stress you're getting exposed to. Uh, one of the things that's why I always talk about turning Wi-Fi off at night. It's hugely important if you want your body to detoxify the glymphatic and lymphatic systems. So it's really, really powerful. As always, if you have been dealing with a chronic health issue or disease and you haven't been able to get to the bottom of it or overcome it, and you're looking for someone to help you, then please do send me an email at ryan at reviveyourself.co and I'll get back to you as soon as possible and we can have a chat about how we can help you. If you are looking for someone though, you can always go to our website at mentioned before, www.reviveyourself.co and you can click on our testimonials to see the people we've helped with all manner of, of issues. I know some people like to just read stories, so we've got our testimonials there. But yeah, send me an email, ryan at reviveyourself.co and I'll get back to you as soon as possible and we can discuss how we can get you over your issues and living a life full of health and vitality again. That's it for this week, guys. Um, I'll see you next week. And as always, stay happy, stay healthy. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. If you're struggling with gut issues, such as gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, indigestion, heartburn, and want to finally be able to eat the foods you love without the crippling after effects, then don't forget to head over to reviveyourself.co and pick up your free copy of The Healing Health Paradigm today.